If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, we get excited about the Word. Matthew chapter 1. I want to preach a message to you this morning called Embrace the Embarrassment. Embrace the Embarrassment. In Matthew chapter 1, it was a very embarrassing situation that Joseph found himself in. And um, oftentimes when we look at the Christmas story, we forget about Joseph. There's not a whole lot of scriptures about him. It's, the focus is really on Mary, on Jesus, on the angel, on the shepherds, the wise men. But Joseph had to handle something that was difficult. And I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a difficult year for a lot of us to handle some things that aren't easy and, and in some cases embarrassing. And so here we find the story of Christmas beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me stop right there. Joseph is not really sure. Most scholars believe that Joseph felt like she had committed infidelity and that he was very hurt by this. But because he was a righteous man, a man of integrity, he didn't want to throw her out on the street. He didn't want to start a bunch of rumors. But when he found out she was pregnant, he started planning secretly he was going to divorce her. It says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. So he didn't really believe his girlfriend, his fiance, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, he was like, where's this Holy Spirit at? Where, where's this guy at? Let me talk to him. And so because of that, he's angry, he's upset, he's embarrassed, he's, he's frustrated. And it says he did not want to expose her to public embarrassment. He did not want to expose her to public shame, disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Here, Mary thinks things are okay while Joseph is secretly planning to leave her. Secretly planning to walk away because it's just too embarrassing to face. It's too embarrassing to walk through. And I started thinking about how God was trying to birth something, not just in Mary, but in Joseph, out of this embarrassment. That oftentimes God is trying to birth something in the midst of our embarrassing situations. God's wanting to birth something new. He's wanting to draw us into a deeper place of trust, a, a birthing of a deeper relationship with him, and even deeper relationships with those who are closest to us. How about you in the room? How many of you guys have ever been embarrassed like publicly before? Yeah, me too. It happens every week for me. I say embarrassing things from stage. I just want to hide under the table, except for there's no curtain here, and so you see me. I want to hide behind the podium. There was this one time I was telling a story, and I was trying to say, you know, this one time I was like 20 years old. It was my birthday, um, and I really was feeling nostalgic. I wanted to go back. Um, to the place where I was born uh, to go and just like sit in the hospital and think about my life. I was a weird kid. Um, so I was telling the story on stage in church, but instead of saying that I went back to the hospital to go and uh, reminisce on the, you know, my life, I said, I went back to the place where I was conceived and everybody was like, what? <laughs> And then I was like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. It was just an embarrassing thing. Last, last weekend, I was preaching during our Christmas production, and I said something really embarrassing. I was trying to sing while I preach, because I do that sometimes. And um, like right as I was trying to hit the note, I couldn't hear the piano. And so I'm hitting the wrong note, and it just got super awkward. So I wanted to show you a quick clip of last weekend, this embarrassing moment for me. Check this out. I think God's trying to teach the church and the world right now that everything else is sinking sand except for the foundation of Christ. All the other things, 
all these other things. On, on Christ the solid <laughs> rock I stand. All right, cut it. All other <laughs> so I started to sing, and I realized I don't know the key. I'm like, on, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Like, I tried to play it off, just pretend like it didn't happen. And then I walk off the stage, and I have two text messages from Ty and Debbie Barker. They're like, we love you. You're doing great. <laughs> I was like, was it bad? They were like, no. Then I get a text from AJ, and it was just a meme laughing at me. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the friends who will laugh at you when you're embarrassed? And the friends who will encourage you when you're embarrassed? <laughs> but this happens to me. This happens to me regularly. I get embarrassed, and, and embarrassing things happen. In fact, all, every year at our Christmas All Staff, um, we, we have a video of bloopers from like moments where I've like missed it, blunders, just embarrassing moments. You guys don't want to see it this morning. You didn't come to see. Okay, you want to see. All right, we'll show you a quick little one-minute video of some of my embarrassing moments. Check it out. Guys, this is cringy right now. This is cringe right oh, yeah. here. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's over. <laughs> Just groove with it. I'm grooving with grace. Come on. What's up, babe? What's up, babe? What's up, babe? I'm almost done. I've got a few more pearls. Can you hang on for a few more pearls? Y'all are like, what is happening right now? All right, turn it off. It's too much. It's a little too embarrassing for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, if I could put your embarrassing moments up on the big screen, you'd probably leave our church. If I could put up some of the things that you're embarrassed about or the things that you've said. And, and the truth is this year, we've seen a lot of embarrassing things happen, not just little things, but big things. Embarrassment is a tough thing. You know, I think about the time when I chipped my tooth and I had to preach with a chipped tooth. I looked like dumb and dumber. It was embarrassing. I just tried to cover my mouth the whole time while I was preaching with a chipped front tooth. And uh, then there's those bigger things that are embarrassing, like when you lose your job and you're not sure how you're going to make it. You have to ask for help and you have to move in with your parents and you have to reach out to relatives. You know, this year when the pandemic hit, I was in the back of our parking lot during one of our revival rooftop services. And Right when we started doing those, I was really nervous that I was going to get arrested, that we were going to get shut down. But there was someone who texted me that weekend, Governor Stitt, and he said, I just want you to know you are doing a good job having church in the middle of a pandemic. And I am praying for you and you are not going to get arrested. I was like, OK, in Jesus name, we're going to keep moving forward. I was nervous, but in the back of the parking lot, the reason we were doing these revival on the rooftop services is not just so we could have church. It's because people were struggling. People have been struggling this year, struggling with depression, with suicidal thoughts, with fear, anxiety, not wanting to get out of their house, not knowing where they can go. 
And this guy drove up in the back of our parking lot in an Escalade with tears in his eyes. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm embarrassed. I said, why? He said, I'm going to have to sell this car. I'm embarrassed that I need groceries. It's the first time in my life that I've had to ask for groceries. He said, I just got laid off from, from my job. I looked in the back of his car. He had six kids. And I just started thinking, I've heard this phrase a lot in 2020. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I have to move back in with my parents. I'm embarrassed that I haven't conquered this addiction yet. I'm embarrassed that we don't have the presence under the tree this year that we would have in the past. I'm embarrassed that I had to drop out of college. I'm embarrassed that I got pregnant. I'm embarrassed that he left me. I'm embarrassed that we're having to, to file for unemployment. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. The definition of embarrassment means utter mortification, blushing, humiliated, a loss of self-confidence, anxiously self-conscious about what people think about you. Embarrassment impedes your thoughts. In other words, it interrupts your thoughts. You're not thinking clearly. It interrupts your words. You can't even speak. Have you ever been so embarrassed that you don't even know what to say? You just lose your speech. Who's been there before? A couple of us in the room. I'm right there with you. So embarrassed. I don't even know what to say. So embarrassed. I don't even know what to do. Embarrassment paralyzes decision making. The situation embarrassed people so much they couldn't speak, think, or even make decisions in 2020. It was such an embarrassing time. How do you respond to that embarrassment? How would Joseph respond? How would Mary respond? How would you respond? Studies show that a third of us will apologize immediately when something embarrassing happens to us. We'll just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so embarrassed. I apologize. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? You just want to stick your foot in your mouth. You're like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. That's me almost every week at church. <laughs> I walked up to someone not too long ago, and I was like, when is the baby due? And they were like, I had the baby three months ago, Pastor Paul. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You look great. You look amazing. I'm, I'm not a good man. Please forgive me. You know, I just was, I was apologizing. How do you respond to embarrassment? A third of us will apologize. 22% of us will joke to cover it up. You know those people who just make jokes when they feel embarrassed? They just start joking real fast, are they? <laughs> yeah. 21% of us will pretend like nothing happened. That was like me when I messed up my singing preaching moment. I just kept moving. I was like, you didn't hear that. On Christ the solid rock I stand. We pretend. We pretend like it didn't happen. 18% will suffer the blushing until it passes. 6% will leave the room. How do you handle embarrassment? Whether it's because of a decision you made or a decision someone else made. I remember talking to a family uh, this year who said, man, I'm just, we're embarrassed. We got ourselves in debt and like really bad debt, just made some dumb decisions and it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. We're having to ask for help from multiple people and I get it. I know how it feels. I know what it's like to move in with your family and you're thinking, how are we going to get through this? How am I supposed to face the embarrassment of my decision? I'm so thankful we have a Savior who sympathizes with our embarrassment. He does not laugh at us. He does not point a finger. He does not judge us when we make a mistake. He comes rushing to our aid. He embraces the embarrassed. He says, I know what it's like to be embarrassed.
He hung on a cross in his underwear. He understands what it's like to be embarrassed. I was reading an article from this um, website called adoption.com, and they were talking about single expectant mothers. And this mom, she shared her thoughts. She said, shame and embarrassment are all too familiar emotions associated with a single expectant mother experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. Shame and guilt because we feel like we did something wrong and the embarrassment because we feel judged by everyone around us. Growing up in a very conservative community where it was culturally unacceptable to become pregnant out of wedlock and being raised with values that included chastity, I felt double doses of the embarrassment. Being pregnant made my mistake a little more apparent than the mistakes of everyone else. I felt like I had not only let my family down and my friends down, but I let myself down. My natural instinct was to hide my pregnancy, but as with most big juicy secrets, mine didn't last long. To say that I experienced an extreme moment of panic, fear, pain, and humiliation every single time someone found out about my pregnancy would be a massive understatement. I feel like I'm reading Mary's memoirs. When I was required to leave the seclusion of my apartment, I worried about who I would run into, what they would think about me, who they would tell. My embarrassment pushed me to the point that I dropped out of college. I quit my part-time job. Staying home in a mild depression sounded like a better option than dealing with the guilt and the embarrassment caused by running into family and friends. I would rather sacrifice my happiness than be forced to face the uncomfortable situations. See, this is another level of embarrassment. This is not just embarrassed by doing something goofy or funny on stage. This is embarrassment because of a decision you made or a decision someone else made. How do you respond to embarrassment? Oftentimes, our embarrassment sends us into hiding out of fear and shame. This is what happened in the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, God had told Adam and Eve not to eat from a certain tree. And when they did the thing he told them not to do, they became embarrassed because they recognized they were naked. Genesis 3 verse 7 says the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And when they realized they were naked out of embarrassment, they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. This is what embarrassment does to us. It causes us to try to hide ourselves. When they heard that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord. I want to give you real quickly five effects of embarrassment. Five effects of embarrassment. Number one is escape. Escape. I want to get away. I want to fly away. I want to disappear. I want to stop existing. I want to go back in time. I want to escape. Our bodies start running away from us, out of control. Tears, blush, vomit. Embarrassment is an emotional nuclear meltdown. Number two, shame. The effects of embarrassment bring shame. I'm unacceptable. You see, there's a difference between guilt and shame. I used to think that both of these were the same thing, but they're two different things. Guilt is about what you've done, but shame is about who you are. Guilt says you made a mistake. Shame says you are a mistake. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says you are wrong. Shame personalizes the failure. I am unacceptable. It's poison in our veins, the shame that we carry. Thirdly, it leads to loneliness. In our embarrassment, we run into isolation. 
We feel like no one would understand. We feel like we're the only ones who've made this kind of mistake. We're the only ones who are walking through this financial embarrassing situation. We're the only ones who had to move in with our parents. We're the only ones who had to sell our car. We're the only ones who had to shut down the business. We're the only ones who had to close the restaurant. We're the only ones who, who suffered the, the failure of this moral mistake, this embarrassing situation. It leads to loneliness. Fourthly, it leads to self-deprecation, or I would say self-hatred. I deserve their scorn. I deserve to be laughed at. I deserve to be demoted. Why did God even make me? People begin to say the most hurtful, hateful things about themselves. I should be alone. No one, no one needs to be around me. I'm not good at this. And then lastly, it leads to legalism. I could have prevented this if only I would have done better. I could have stopped this if only I made a better decision. I'm the one who put myself here. It's my fault. It's my fault. Embarrassment keeps a record of wrongs. And when we're embarrassed, we feel the cutting edge of a disapproval from God and our neighbors. Embarrassment is the emotional experience of failed earthly justification and failing to attain righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It leads to a legalistic approach of trying to avoid embarrassment at all costs. But can I tell you, Jesus does not forsake you in your embarrassment. Jesus is not embarrassed at you. When everyone else is laughing at you, Jesus doesn't join the crowd. He doesn't laugh at you in the midst of your mistake. Jesus comes right beside you in your embarrassment. He rushes to your aid. He embraces you and he calls you to embrace the process of vulnerability because only in a vulnerable place are you pliable for the work of God. So how do you respond to embarrassment? How would Joseph respond to embarrassment? I think about how so often in our lives we face embarrassing situations. I remember even in the start of this year, just things that I had to face right when we started doing what we were doing. The rejection of certain people, people who didn't approve of what we were doing. Even just a month ago when we were doing a worship night here and the worship night went viral on social media and it was on all these news outlets. And the next day I woke up and it was on NBC and ABC and CBS and Good Morning America, only it wasn't good news. People were accusing me of being like the worst person ever for having church services in a pandemic and allowing people in the room. And and I was a little embarrassed. I I didn't even want to go to coffee shops or restaurants. I didn't want to be seen by anyone. And in that moment, I was so discouraged. I knew what we were doing was right, but I didn't know how to prove it to everyone else. And I knew that the church was with me, but I didn't know how the world was going to handle it. And it was just so hurtful, the words that I was reading. I was embarrassed. I wanted to hide. I didn't know what to do. But in that week of that that night, in in, in, uh, November, in the middle of that embarrassment, I started feeling a deep work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. God began to work in me. See, I believe God does four things in our embarrassment. I believe God begins to do four things in the midst of our embarrassment. I want the keys to come up. Number one, God works in you. God works in you. When you're walking through embarrassing situations, God is working in you. Even when you can't see it, he's working. While Mary was facing the embarrassment and the scorn and the shame of people who judged her pregnancy and did not understand her pregnancy, God was developing something beautiful inside her. God was birthing salvation. He was birthing hope. While Joseph was facing the embarrassment of being married to a woman who was pregnant with a baby that, he, that wasn't his and he didn't know whose it was and he didn't trust her story, 
God was interrupting Joseph's discouragement, his embarrassment. In fact, go back to the story in Matthew chapter 1. It says Joseph was thinking about privately divorcing her. It's crazy how Mary didn't even know it. Mary thought everything was fine, but Joseph was secretly thinking about how he would leave. And while he was in the middle of his thoughts, some of you are in the middle of your thoughts right now in your embarrassment. You're in the middle of your thoughts. And God sent this message to interrupt you. As he was thinking about this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Do not be afraid to embrace the embarrassment. Is there a pregnant woman in the house today? <laughs> Stand up in the very back. There she is. Stand up in the back. Come on, give it up for the pregnant, the expectant mother in the back. You know, my wife, we've had four kids, and with each pregnancy, there is, there is a little bit of embarrassing things that happen in, in the midst of it. <laughs> I'm not going to assume, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm a man, so I don't want to put myself there. But, you know, I think about how Mary was carrying this baby and just some of the, the feelings and the thoughts and the things that come with it. Some of the things that Ashley has told me that came with each of our kids and just the, the, the discomfort at times, just not even comfortable. The temperature is never right. You know, the food, it's like nauseating it. Get me something else, Paul. Yes, ma'am, I got it. I'm on it. You know, in the middle of the night, turn on the fan, turn off the fan. <laughs> no, she's great. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, there's discomfort. And, and, and it's because God's birthing something new. Sometimes the embarrassment is uncomfortable and we don't want to embrace it. And God's telling Joseph, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's uneasy. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's embarrassing. It's a little humiliating. But God gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humiliating situations if you'll lean into them. I, I've found that God works the deepest in me when I'm walking through the most humiliating circumstances. When I'm on the mountaintop, things are good. God's still working, but it's, it's in the valley. It's in the humiliating places. It's in the places where I don't want to be seen, where I want to hide, where I'm afraid of what people will say, what they'll think, that God begins to develop in me. He begins to pull stuff out of me. In November, when I was walking through that week of just feeling embarrassed by all the news and the, and the tweets and the stuff they were saying about me, and I was trying to defend myself, and, and, and someone sent me a text and said, stop trying to defend yourself. You can't prove yourself to the haters. And, and God began to remove the need for the approval of man once again from my heart. What was God doing in me? He was saying, you don't need the approval of the left or the right. You don't need the approval of those who hate you or those who applaud you. All you need is the approval of your Father in heaven. If we don't know how to handle embarrassment, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do with it. We're going to miss out on what God's trying to do. This is where Joseph was at. Joseph was about to divorce the embarrassment. When God was trying to not only birth something in the embarrassing situation, God was trying to birth something in Joseph. God was trying to interrupt Joseph's fear of humiliation to say the thing you're about to walk away from is the only thing that can cure the problems in your soul. The thing that you're about to walk away from is the thing you're going to need for the rest of your life. If you don't embrace the embarrassment, Joseph, you're going to miss out on your salvation. 
You're going to miss out on what God wants to do in and through and for you. God was trying to help Joseph to see, even though it's embarrassing, there's certain things you can't go around, you can't go under, you can't go over, you got to go through it, right? And God was trying to tell Joseph, you got to go through this, you got to face this. You can't avoid this feeling, you can't run from this feeling, you need to face this head on and embrace the embarrassment. Watch what the angel says to Joseph that night. After Joseph had been thinking about leaving his girlfriend, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. There it is right there. Underline that word afraid. Afraid. Fear is the root of embarrassment. Fear. When you have a revelation of the Father's love, fear loses its stronghold in your heart. Perfect love casts out all fear. The more loved I am by God, the less afraid I am about what people will say or think or do about me. Perfect love casts out all fear. And you don't get perfect love from a guy, a girl, a bottle, a pill, a pornography website. You don't get perfect love from all the vices you run to, from a job, from a salary, from a house, from a car. You get perfect love from the Father in heaven. He can love you like nobody else can. And when you get that kind of love, then you get free from the fear of man. Perfect love casts out all fear. God was trying to tell Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. I love you, and I'm inviting you. In the middle of your embarrassment is an invitation to experience God's healing love. God can heal you. As Joseph was thinking about it, he was in his thoughts, he was in his feelings, God interrupts him and speaks to him and says, do not be afraid to embrace Mary as your wife. Take her home. Embrace the embarrassment. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. It's not going to be easy, Joseph. You're going to have to travel. You're going to be rejected. You're going to look for a place to have this baby, and no one will let you in. Not a hotel in Bethlehem will let you in. He'll be born outside the city, outside the system, outside the comforts and the convenience of a nice home. He'll be born in an embarrassing stable, an embarrassing situation, because the world needs to know there's a savior who identifies with their embarrassment. There's a savior who understands their humiliation, who understands what it's like to be rejected, who understands what it's like to feel lonely, who understands what it's, what it's like to be judged by everyone in the church. He gets you. Joseph, don't run from this. And by the way, Joseph, if you stick with this, if you embrace this embarrassment, you get the naming rights. Don't walk away from this because you're going to get the chance to name him Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. God with us. God is working in you. Secondly, God is working on you. He's working on you. He's putting the right things on on you. He's teaching you how to develop character and integrity. Even when everyone else is laughing, when everyone else doesn't understand the embarrassing situation, he's working on you. Thirdly, he's working for you. He's working for you. Turn to someone next and say, he's working for you. He's working for you. In your embarrassment, he's working for you. You don't even see it, but he is. I was reading this story this week from a pastor's wife and she said, I'll never forget the Sunday that my husband announced in church that I had rectal cancer. 
She said, it was the most embarrassing, humiliating day of my life. I felt all the eyes of the church look at me, not just cancer, but rectal cancer. She said, it just, all the emotions, I felt like waves of embarrassment just began to flood me. She said, my husband told me he was going to tell the church that we were going through something that wasn't easy, but he didn't tell me he was going to actually name the situation. And she said, I was so mad at him, I wanted to kill him on the front row. (laughs) She said, I was sitting there and I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to turn my head. I was on the front row. All the heads of the church were staring at me. I could feel it. I could feel the judgment. She said, I started thinking about what they were thinking, what they were thinking, what they were thinking. What was everyone else thinking about me? This is embarrassing. Some of you have walked through a health embarrassment this year. A health. It's embarrassing. I remember when my dad was in the hospital and he was going through chemo, his second round of chemo, and we were in the hospital together and it was changing his voice. This was in the latter part of his life. It was changing his voice. He was starting to lose hair. His body was looking different. I was in the room with him and he said, sing me some songs, Paul. So I started singing him some songs. Uh, I got to make sure I'm in the right key here. Mm, okay, on Christ the solid rock. Um, mm, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. He said, not that song. Sing a, sing a different song. I was like, okay. And he told me to sing a hymn. I said, okay. He said, um, sing Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I prove you or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. He said, keep singing. Sing the whole song. So I, I start making up lyrics because I didn't know the whole song. And he stops and he gets upset and he goes, you don't know the song. You don't know the song. And <laughs> so I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then tears came in his eyes. He said, no, I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed. I said, why are you embarrassed? He said, because I'm not myself. I'm not myself right now. I'm sorry, Paul. I'm embarrassed. I said, Dad, you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be embarrassed. He said, I I am. Can you just leave the room? I said, Dad, why do you want me to leave? He said, I just don't want you to see me like this. I said, Dad, you'll always be my hero. Can't change it. You're always my hero. You're always my pastor, my dad. Embarrassment really does mess with us, the best of us. But God was working. God was working for my dad. He was working for my family. He was working for our church in the midst of that. This pastor's wife, she was telling how she felt the shame and the the guilt and the judgment from all the church members. And and, and then she started imagining all the self-pity. She started thinking, they're going to have pity on me. I don't want their pity. They're going to think I'm weak. They're going to think that I'm helpless. And she said, after the church service, all of a sudden, these people started surrounding me. And they started hugging me. And they said, we're with you. And she said, instead of feeling the judgment that I perceived in my mind, I started feeling the comfort of the people of God. This is why we gather, church, because we need family. We need community. We need relationships. We need, do not forsake the assembly together. We need each other. 
We're not just made to watch church online. We're made to be the church together. We're made to surround each other in our struggles, in our trials, in our tribulation, in our difficulties. We're made to pray for one another, to lay hands on the sick and bring healing, bring hope, to comfort those who are afflicted, to lift up those who have burdens. She said, I felt the love of my church family. And then she said, I had to walk through the embarrassment of the chemo treatment and everything started changing. And I didn't know how my church was going to accept me or if my husband was going to accept me. But she said, I felt the overwhelming love of God. God began to work for me. Today, she's cancer free. That pastor's wife has a testimony. She said, I started realizing that I was putting myself in this category like I'm the only one who's walked through something like this. Jesus understands your embarrassment. Not only was he born in an embarrassing place, he hung on an embarrassing cross. Jesus hung in his underwear. I remember I played the part of Jesus in 2010 in our Easter play right after my father passed. And Tom Newman was like, we need you to play the part of Jesus. I was like, I don't know. He said, no, no, no. We need you to play the part. I said, I don't have the hair. He said, we'll put in weaves. We'll put in, you know, fake hair. So they did. They tied weaves to my hair and put in long hair, dreadlocks. I looked like Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean, except for I was a little bit chubbier. And I was hanging on the cross. And after service, this church member came up to me. He goes, Jesus gained some weight this year. <laughs> I go, thank you. And he said, yeah, Jesus wasn't as heavy you know, last year he was a little skinnier. I was like, well, it was a different Jesus. And uh, I said, it's a little embarrassing. I was going through a depression after my father passed. And, and I just gained a ton of weight right then in those first four months. And I was having to hang on that cross to show everybody the weight that I had gained on my belly. And it was just a little embarrassing. But God was working. I think sometimes we're afraid to admit how embarrassing sometimes the situation is. But God says, I'm working in you. I'm working on you. I'm pulling out pride. I'm pulling out that need to appear impressive in the eyes of people. I'm teaching you to trust in me. I'm teaching you that I can provide for you what no one else can provide for you. He's working for you. He's working for you. He's working in you. He's working on you. He's working through you. Your embarrassment is not your final chapter. Your embarrassment is not how the story ends. Your embarrassment does not disqualify you from being used by God. Whether it's your fault, someone else's fault, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, your embarrassment is an invitation to be used by God's grace for God to show the world he can work through people like Peter. He can work through people like Naaman. He can work through people like Noah and Moses and Esther and David, even in David's moral failure. What an embarrassment. God still showed up and birthed a son named Solomon who would carry on the kingdom. Even when Peter failed Jesus three times, God worked through Peter. God does not disqualify you in your embarrassment. He invites you in your embarrassment to experience his love and his healing. Your embarrassment is not your final chapter. Jesus stands with you as the humiliated, embarrassed savior on a cross who understands what it's like to walk through humiliation. Besides, humiliation is actually preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. Humiliation is actually preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. I remember when I was in college, and I came into our chapel at ORU and I sat down on the piano. No one was in there. I was by myself. 
And um, what key are you in? Okay, good. <laughs> Just got to make sure after that embarrassing situation last week. I remember sitting down at the piano. The only job that was available at um, ORU was the job of being a janitor. And so for three years, I was a janitor at ORU. And I remember serving people lunch, picking up, you know, tables and trash and setting up stuff. And in the winter, we had to salt the, the sidewalks when it got icy. We had to get up early in the morning, stay late in the night. At times, there was embarrassment that was connected to the job that I carried. And I remember reading this scripture. It was John 3, verse 33. It was the scripture of John the Baptist. And John wrote, I must decrease and he must increase. The reason John wrote that is because everyone who once loved John and felt like John was the most popular preacher, they all walked away from him. When Jesus started preaching, his whole church diminished. They started following Jesus. And there was some people who came up to John and they said, isn't it embarrassing that your church has shrunk? Is it an embarrassing situation that people aren't following you like they used to? And John said, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, John was embracing the embarrassment. And I remember sitting down at the piano during that time at ORU when I was feeling embarrassed by the job and, and I couldn't afford to pay for stuff, so I had to get three jobs. I was a janitor and I was a, um, I was a mascot for the Tulsa 66ers. It was a very low point in my life. Nobody came to the games. I was Rudy the Rooster. I would get out there and dance and... Uh, one time, some of my friends came and they threw stuff at me, tried to trip me in my mascot costume. And I was so embarrassed by it. And I was doing that and I was working another job and I didn't want anyone to see me at my jobs. But God started birthing this song in me. And it went like this. Less of me is where you're drawing me past all my dreams and desires more of you i need more of you burn in my heart holy fire till all that i desire is you I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. So empty me of all of me. was the song. And um, I remember showing it to ORU 
and I sent it to the worship department, and I tried out for the choir. I didn't make it, and I was like, how bad do you have to be to not make a 100-person choir? And they were like, try out again next year. Two years in a row, I never made the choir. And uh, they took my song, though, and they said, we're going to record your song, and we're going to let you sing in the choir. And I was like, oh, thank you. They said, yeah, because your voice is not good for this song. We're going to use your friend Brad, and he's going to sing your song. And I was like, what? I was so upset. I was standing in the back of the choir the night we recorded. Carrie Job was on the stage, Daryl Evans. And Brad, my friend, was singing, Here I Am in the Back. And I was just embarrassed. He's singing my song. And I was like, he must decrease. I must increase. <laughs> you know? But God was, God was working in me. He was pulling out the pride. He was like, listen to the irony of the song. This song was made for you to recognize it's not about you, Paul. And the situation you're going through right now, it's not about you. It's because there's someone on the other side of your embarrassing situation who needs to hear your testimony, who needs to know what you walk through. And you won't become the man or the woman that God's called you to be unless you go through it. There's certain things you just can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You got to go through it. And once you go through it and you face it, God begins to birth in you the man, the woman he's called you to be for the people he's called you to serve, for the family he's called you to lead. It's embarrassing, but we've got to go through it. God's more concerned with what he's doing in us than what's happening around us. Our embarrassment needs encouragement that only comes when we get out of isolation. I want to end today with just one final story. It's in Mark chapter 1. It's, it's a story where Jesus heals a man of leprosy. And what's so interesting about it is that leprosy is a disease that forms on the inside long before it surfaces on the outside. And this leper had had leprosy for a long time. And when you had leprosy, you had to wear different clothes. You had to uh, announce to people before you even saw them, you had to announce unclean, unclean. In fact, Leviticus 13 verse 45 says, anyone who has leprosy, anyone with a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, get your mask up all the way over your nose, and cry out, unclean, unclean. This feels like 2020. The scripture was written for 2020, right? People just wearing torn clothes, not shaving their armpits, not <laughs> shaving their face, just hair everywhere and, 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 and shouting out unclean, get the mask over your face. And, and so these lepers, they had to isolate themselves. They had to live away from the rest of society and they felt so dirty and they felt so unworthy. But in Mark chapter one, Watch this in Mark chapter one, verse 40, a man with leprosy heard that Jesus was coming in town and he knew Jesus understands embarrassing situations. Jesus understands humiliating situations. And because he had faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the man with leprosy embraced the embarrassment. He came straight towards Jesus and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, I can't cover these spots anymore. You could cover leprosy at first. You could put clothes on to cover the spots, but eventually leprosy begins to spread to your hands, to your ears, to your neck, to your face, across your cheeks, and it begins to pull off the skin. And he said, my mask can't cover it anymore. My clothes won't cover it anymore. It's embarrassing. I need help. It's frustrating. I need you. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And I love how Jesus doesn't turn away from him. Jesus doesn't back up from him, right? It's kind of embarrassing to cough in front of people right now in 2020. 
Like in church, I don't even want to sneeze. We used to say, God bless you. Now we're like, get away from me. You know, <laughs> you got COVID. Stay far away from me. But Jesus, he hears the cough. He hears the sneeze and he comes close because we have a savior who doesn't run from our sickness. He doesn't, he does not social distance from our shame and our embarrassment. He says, I get it. I get it. Five years ago, I was in a, a round table of pastors, 40 guys in a room. And there was a very wealthy businessman who was there to speak to us. He was a, a person who could have funded every church in the room. And he said, I just want to ask if there's any of you pastors that are struggling right now financially. And, um, and all these pastors led great churches, and they had all been bragging about their churches. And I was like, I was like I'm just honored to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody, you know. I was thinking, our church is awesome, but I'm, I'm just a little guy. I don't know, what, you know, how I got invited into the room. And uh, the, the guy says, is there anyone who's struggling right now? No one stood up because everyone wanted to appear like we've all got it together. We're all doing well. But I just got done talking to my friend Bobby, who pastored a church in California. And he was telling me that they just walked through an embarrassing scandal that split their church in half. And someone close to him had committed a big mistake. And he said, I'm picking up the pieces of our church. It was once really big. It was well known. Everybody knew about our church. It was the most beautiful church in our, in our state. But now we had to sell our building. We had to change our name. It was embarrassing to walk through. I'm picking up the pieces of it. I'm just trying to keep it together. And he had just got done telling me that financially things were in a really rough place. But when the, the person asked, is anyone struggling? No one stood up. We were all just kind of sitting there kind of like, we're good, we're good. And I caught eyes with Bobby and he put his head down just in shame. He just sat there and he just put his head down debating if he should stand. And I said, Bobby, I'll stand with you. I'll stand with you. And he stood up and I stood next to him. And all of a sudden, Dodie Osteen ran to the back, Joel Osteen's mom. And she said, what do you need, Bobby? He said, we're just hurting. We're hurting. And I'm embarrassed to say it. We're in a really bad place. I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it. I'm so embarrassed. And she said, let me write you a check. All of a sudden, people started running, writing checks. That day, Bobby got everything he needed. I thought, I should have stood up and waged my hand, too. <laughs> Bobby cried and called me later that week. He said, Paul, we made it. We paid all our bills. We're going to be good. People, people are now supporting me from that meeting that are going to support me for the next year. Our church is good. Just saw them not too long ago. Their church is doing better than ever. It's growing. It's ministering to thousands of people. But you know, it never would have happened had he not stood up. The leper never would have known what was on the other side of embracing the embarrassment had he not made himself known to the Savior. He said, I'm unclean, and if you're willing, you can heal me. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Not only did he say, I'm willing, he touched the leper. When a clean person touches an unclean person, the clean person becomes clean. 
But when a clean savior touches an unclean man, an unclean woman, the unclean becomes clean. It's not the clean that becomes unclean. It's the unclean. Come on. The unclean is the one who's cured. When Jesus touched the man, he said, I am willing be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I want you to stand to your feet this morning as we close out in prayer. There is nothing too embarrassing. There is nothing too shameful that God cannot cure. And I I just hear the Savior saying it over you today. Be clean. Be whole. This is why I came. This is why Jesus was born. To lift off the leprosy of shame and embarrassment of your sin or the sin that's been committed against you or the mistake or the situation that you're in. He didn't just come to save you from your sins. He came to save you in the embarrassment. He came to help you in your humiliation. And he says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. God is more attracted to your vulnerability than he is attracted to your success. It endears you to God when you say, God, I'm struggling. God, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'm not where I want to be. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought we'd have kids by now. I thought I'd be done with this addiction by now. I thought I'd be better by now. I thought I'd be out of this depression by now, but the leprosy's getting worse. The spots are starting to spread. If you're willing, you can make me clean with all heads bowed and eyes closed today. If you're willing, God, you can help us in this financial embarrassing time in our company and our family. God, can do it. He is willing. This Christmas, he is willing. He came. Advent is about his coming. He came. He showed up and he's coming back again. And when he came the first time, he came in power. He came in love and he came with his healing grace. And it's still here today. It's here right now. God says, I'm still willing. I'm still willing to show up in Bethlehem. I'm still willing to show up in mangers surrounded by mess messy situations, messy families, messy marriages, messy mistakes that you've made this year. I know you're embarrassed by your financial decisions. I know you're embarrassed by what happened in the family this year. I know you're embarrassed even to to look people in the eyes right now. Some of you are still watching from home and you could be here, but God's saying, it's okay. I can meet you in your house. I can meet you in your apartment. I'll meet you right there. I'll meet you right there. I'll meet you right where you're at, right in the embarrassment. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover it up. I can see behind the mask. I can see what you're walking through. I know the shame. I know those feelings of humiliation. Jesus shows his scars to Thomas to say, I know how you feel. Me too. I've got wounds too. Wounds in my hands and my side and my feet. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to be embarrassed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now and you say, Paul, would you pray for me? I'm walking through something that's not easy. And I need to embrace what God wants to do in me, for me, on me, and through me in this embarrassing situation. Just raise your hand if that's you all over this room. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. All over the room. Could be something with health. Could be something with finances. Could be something with relationships. I'm not going to ask you to leave your seat, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand to say, yeah, that's me. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I need to get right with God. I need to surrender to God. He's more attracted to your surrender than your success. If that's you, raise your hand today. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I repent of my sins. I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercies that are new this morning. I'm going to pray for those of you that raised your hands for the first one. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer for those of you that raised your hands for the second one.
Lord, I pray right now for every person here today. Band, I want you guys just to start playing that song, Waymaker. I pray for every person in the room today. I pray for healing. I pray for hope. I pray for miracles. I pray that Christmas would be a time that they would experience your grace, your love, your power in their homes. God, where there's been pain, where there's been heartache, where there's been failure, I pray, God, that they would be surrounded this Christmas with the presence, God, of your love, the presence, God, of your joy, the presence, God, that you are working in them, on them, for them, through them. Even when they can't see it, you're working. Even when they can't feel it, you're working. You're a way maker. You're a promise keeper. You're a light in the darkness, God. That's who you are. That's who you are. Just say this with me. Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sins. I confess you as my Lord. You are my savior. You are my healer. You are my redeemer. You are my way maker. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. I'm all yours, God. Do what only you can do. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Let's just sing a song to the Lord right now. Christmas Eve, we're going to light candles right here in the church. We'll be holding them all around the room. We're going to take communion on Christmas Eve. But this candle represents the unending love of God. It's Advent season, and the week of Christmas is the week of love, that God so loved the world, He gave His Son for us while we were still sinners, while we were still in a mess, while we were still embarrassed and ashamed of our mistakes. God loved us us and his love never runs out, never gives up on us. His love never stops working on our behalf. Today, I want to encourage you this Christmas that you would put your hope and your trust, not in your ability, but in his ability. His love is with you, even in the embarrassing situations you might be facing this Christmas. Whatever it looks like, embrace it. God is up to something. Do you guys receive that today?